As we saw in the morning, uh, the middle class has been growing in Latin America, but two-thirds of the population are still poor or vulnerable. Uh, of course, and we saw that again in the morning, this has to do with economic growth, but growth is certainly not enough. By the way, growth has also to do with policies, because sometimes we said this has to do with policies and this with growth, and growth has to do with, with policies. What kind of growth? Um, but it also has to do with policies that were instrumental in promoting growth, reducing poverty, and expanding the middle class. And of course, education is probably one of the most important elements of this process, for good and for bad reasons, because education also perpetuates some of these differences. Uh, as we saw in the morning, education matters. Uh, summarizing some of what we saw in average, the poor have not completed their basic education. Every adult in the middle class has at least attended high school. And adults in the upper class went to and probably graduated from university. So you have this big relation. Uh, if, you, if we use Costa Rica as an example, you said an almost successful example, uh, and, and Diego, by the way, Diego's book is excellent. Uh, from the 50s to the 70s, Costa Rica was relatively a success story, not just in terms of growth and productivity, which was not that good, but especially in terms of social and institutional development. Almost successful. I want to use three graphs that will tell the story. What you have there is the gross rate of enrollment in high school from 1957 to last year. And this, there are like three stories here. First, this, this is an amazing period from 57 to 1979, where enrollment rates went from 17% to almost 60%. Uh, this has two meanings. 60% uh, is not very good. But going from 17 to 60% was an impressive uh, stage of development. In, far, in, in, in fact, we're talking here about the emergence of the middle class in Costa Rica. That was the period of the emergence of the middle class in, in Costa Rica. But then we had the crisis in the early 80s. In a crisis, what I would have expected is uh, for the enrollment rate to stagnate. But it didn't stagnate. We lost 10 points. We went from 60 to 50% in just five years. But that's not the worst problem. The worst is that it... Oops. For the next 15 years, we didn't even get to the 60%. So you have 20 years when half of your kids were not in high school. And that matters. Let me show you the other graph, and then I'll come back to this. This is the relation between uh, the kind of job you have and how much education you, you get. Um, this is for this is a graph for 10 years ago, and that's on purpose. Kids that were from 20 to 29 years old, so now they are between 30 and 39. So look at this. The, the orange, it was supposed to be red. <laughs> it was a nice graphic. <laughs> uh, orange means unskilled jobs, the worst jobs, low wages. Uh, this green is semi-skilled, and this is skilled, well-paid jobs. If you have no instruction, 99% of these persons are in the worst jobs. If you have primary education from one to six years, 88% are in the worst jobs. If you have seventh, eighth, ninth year of high school, 76% worst jobs, a little bit, 18% in semi-skilled. There's a little bit of difference in those who had 11 or 
10 or 11 years, which is the last part of, of high school. But the real difference, and look at even the form of the graphic is different, is those persons who had more than 11 years, high school and something else, high school in languages or computers or technical education or university. Here, those that have more than 11 years, 66% are working in the best jobs, only 13% in the worst jobs. What this basically means is that if, if you have more than high school, your chance at being poor is about 13% compared with 52, 75, 88, or 99. So education does matter. So what happened? You have 20 years where those people who are right now in the market, in the labor market, they didn't go to high school. Other half of the kids went to high school and some of them went to the universities. And at this time, after the crisis, Costa Rica is relatively successful in transforming the economy towards a much more sophisticated labor market. So some people do very well, but those who didn't finish high school do not. Fortunately, in the last 15 years, we managed to reverse this and we've increased from 60% to 90% enrollment in high school, which will hope mean that in some years from now this will make a difference. But the most important thing is, what does this expansion in the rate of enrollment means in terms of the gaps that education has for different sectors of, of the society? Here we have probably the three most important ones. These are enrollment gaps by education, income, and region. Kids between 13 and 13, 17 years old the, this is, was 2003, and this is last year. Kids from urban regions had 30% higher enrollment rates than kids from urban regions. This has gone down to 7% last year. Kids from families of the higher income had 44% more enrollment rates, or higher enrollment rates than kids from the poor quintile. Now this went down to 17 and probably the most important, and we've, several persons have talked about this, kids whose family is of the best educated families had 68% more education than kids from the least educated families. Uh, this, this went down to 29. As the other graphic, there is a good and a bad story here. The good story is that the trend is very good, the, the gaps are really being reduced, but the gaps are still here. And as long as you have these gaps, education is contributing to increase these inequalities. So the, the real job is to make those disappear. Uh, as you can imagine, to increase enrollment uh, and to do that in a way that reduces uh, the gaps for the rural population, the poor population, or the less, least educated population um, requires a specific effort. And this is oops, a little different than uh, what Guillermo was saying in the morning about private education. One characteristic of, of Costa Rica's educational system is that it's basically public. 90% of the students go to private, uh, to public preschool, primary school, or high school. Uh, only 7.7% go to uh, private education. This is something, uh, just an, an anecdote. When you ask some of these persons who send their kids to private schools, uh, they think that everybody does. <laughs> it, that's funny. I, the other, they ask one person that I know was in that group, and uh, I asked him, you know how, what's the percentage of people sending kids to private schools? 
And he said, what, about 50%? Because, as someone said in the morning, everybody thinks of himself or herself as middle class. But 90% is going to the public education. This means that this expansion has been quite expensive. Uh, this is the investment in education as a percentage of GDP. Uh, we were around 4% till 76, 78, and we've increased from 4.7 to 7.2. That's a huge effort from a society's point of view. Uh, the tax burden in Costa Rica right now is 13% of GDP. What? 13%. 13%. One, three. So if you're spending 7% in education uh, with a very big fiscal deficit, 6.2, that's not sustainable. And, and we're talking here about the sustainability. So, so this, is, this can only be sustainable if there is a big tax. And here is, but this is important. This is the poor and the middle class going to public schools but not wanting to pay taxes. And, and that's a problem. Investing in improving rates of enrollment, reducing gaps is very important. It's, it's essential, but, but it's not enough. Some of the people who talked before said that quality of education is, is essential, and, and not just quality, but what do we mean for education? I, and I would like to use a very few examples of some of the challenges we have in Latin America. We have done a little bit in, in Costa Rica. Yeah. One is something that everybody says it's not easy to do. Kids should learn by learning to think. Uh, and uh, when we talk about 21st century skills, and I don't really like that phrase because that's been true always, but uh, it would require more than ever people who is capable of creative reasoning. And this requires the ability to rigorously examine problems and how to solve them. And I underline rigorously because sometimes people think that creativity is just being creative. And... Uh, ask in, any good artist, and creativity requires a lot of rigor. So this is one of the things we, we should do uh, in languages, in natural or social sciences, in math. They all should be learned in the context of ability to collectively understand uh, our lives and to act accordingly. For example, one thing that I think is essential, logic. If you read a cartoon like that, it says, Penguins are black and white, some old TV shows are black and white, therefore some penguins are old TV shows. <laughs> if you read that in a cartoon, you laugh. But you read that in the newspaper every day. And if you watch the news, that's what you hear. So we should t teach logic to our kids. Where should we teach logic? I think we should, you should, we should teach logic in language class. Not in math, not in philosophy, but in language class. As they learn their grammar, they have to learn also the rules of logic because they are not the same. You can make a perfectly good grammatically argument and absolutely stupid. So, so you have to be able to, to tell the difference. In terms of science, just a very simple thing uh, that a couple of Nobel Prizes said, don't teach science through answers. Teach science through questions. If you learn the answers first, you will forget them very soon, and probably that's not the answer you will need 20 years from now. If you teach science through questions, first you probably won't forget the answers, but especially you learn how to find the answers. Uh, this is something that is relatively simple to do with a very big potential. 
And probably the worst of all offenders in our educational system is math. That's where we fail most, most in PISA, in our national tests, in Latin American tests. Uh, a few things. First, uh, math should be to be enjoyed, not feared. And, and this here, the math teachers are to blame. First day of class, they look at the class, keep quiet, and say, half of you won't pass. <laughs> That's the first math class. So it has to be nice. Uh, Something we learn from the, those countries or states of, of countries who have been successful reforming their math system is don't start with the abstract, which is what we do in most Latin American countries. Start with concrete things close to the students and then build up to the abstract. Of course, you have to get to the abstract, but start with the concrete. Use collective problem solving as a pedagogical instrument. Kids don't have to solve problems to get the right answer. They have to solve problems to learn the process. And that's two completely different things. And of course, they have to develop the mathematical language. So we've been talking about language, sciences, math. But education is much more than that. Education has to do with learning to live and learning to live with others. And what people usually say is that you learn to live by living. Uh, yes, you do, but not very well. If you compare how we've improved in, in science and technology and how we have not improved in human relations in the last 2,000 years, uh, we're not doing this right. So we have to, I mean, learning to live has to be learned and well learned. It requires a conscious pedagogical process. It has to be one of the objectives of, of the school. And we have to realize that nothing is more difficult than to learn to live with others. And we don't do it systematically. Yeah. to learn how to respect, to learn how to deal with affection, to learn how to deal with norms, to comply with norms, to change them, to confront them. That's something that has to be learned. In those things, what we found out is, one, the arts are probably one of the most important things. What kids learn through the arts is something that you cannot teach them any other way. Sports are very important, and if you want to know why sports are very important, you just look at the face of that girl, and I don't need to explain anything else. I took the photo. Um, and this is someone, I think Paolo was talking about this in the morning, learning about these two words. We should have a single word for those two things. Uh, it's a problem that we have freedom and responsibility as, as different words. They are the same word. And that's one of the things that kids have to learn, to learn to become a citizen. When you're talking about 21st century education, people expect you to talk about technology, uh, and ga about gadgets, about getting everybody a computer. And gadgets are the big thing. I, it worries me when I see uh, gadgets used as a substitute for educational policy, or worst, as a substitute for teachers. And I love gadgets. I, I mean, I, I love technology. I think they can be fun, they can be useful, they can increase the access to a lot of things, but they are no substitute for educational policies, and especially they are no substitute for good teachers. And when we're talking about the quality of education, the key thing is the quality of teachers. Uh, just an anecdote, when you're a minister of education, everybody tells you that you're not really a minister of education unless you go to Finland. So I went to Finland as every minister that wants to be minister. And in one of our conversations, uh, Finland's education minister said one thing, 
which made me feel a little comforted. Oh, yes, everybody comes here to Finland to find out. I like taking my time sitting here with you. And they want to find about the Finnish miracle in education. And she says, there's no miracle. What is important in Finland, she says, is that at the university, those who go to education faculties come from the top 10% of the students of the university. And if you have that, it doesn't matter the curriculum, the computers, the whatever. You have the 10% of your brightest students becoming teachers. So you have to have good teachers, and that's expensive, and we don't want to pay for that. Three conclusions of what I've been saying. First, the improvements that we've had in Latin America are significant. Uh, Educational coverage has been steadily increasing. Primary schools, and we just saw the graph is almost universal. Uh, High school coverage is increasing. Gaps have been reduced. Technical and tertiary education are expanding rapidly. Though there is a long way to go, still we have those gaps there. The problem is that every step is harder. We've done the easiest part. Um, The poverty that remains is the hardest to solve, not just from the educational point of view, from the economic point of view also. Um, The vulnerable sector is not only large, but it's precisely vulnerable. So those kids are the ones with, from least educated families with mo- most problems to study. Those are the ones that teachers want to get out of their classrooms and principals want to get out of their high schools. Uh, and, and that's something that happens in the educational system. Those that are not easy to educate are expelled towards the worst colleges or high schools. But even if the educational coverage has been increasing, those who are still out of school are the hardest to reach. And we're talking about a lot of kids, and they are the hardest to reach. Uh, And there is the quality issue. So these are some of the challenges. And finally, the cost cost of more and better education. And that's exactly what you said. More and better education is more expensive. It is true, and it is always true, that with the resources I have, I can do a little bit more, and I can do it a little bit better. But when you're talking about having really better education and really increasing the coverage of education, that requires more money. It's not possible to do it with less money or with the same amount of money. And here we have, of course, the the question of the day is, how do we manage to get a political agreement, and, and Diego's book is very much about that, in which the society decides to finance this process? Uh, It makes sense to the poor, it makes sense to the middle class, it even makes sense to the rich. Uh, In the case of Costa Rica, our transformations might not be sustainable if we don't do this. So this expenditure is is essential. Uh, And finally, part of this investment uh, has to be done in the teachers. If we don't get better teachers, it doesn't matter how much money we put into education, we won't have a better education. Thank you.